Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and I would say good morning to you, because I'm recording this in the wee hours of uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Got a busy day on Wednesday, just trying to get ahead a little bit. You guys don't mind having the show a little early, right? I know you guys got spoiled with that during baseball season, because I would come home from baseball, and I'd be so hyped up and so eager to talk about stuff. It was easy for me to do it, and then I would uh, I'd go to bed. You know, I got to bring the kid to school here uh, pretty soon, just about every day. And so I won't be able to do this very often. But because of the fact I did have such a busy day on Wednesday and I had some technical issues on Monday, I thought, let's give this thing a shot tonight. That way I can sleep in on Wednesday and then get up and kind of face the day. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and record the show. Now, on Wednesday night, Mississippi State Men's Basketball will return to action the 2-0 and Bulldogs. Not that we're surprised by that. We're happy about that. But we're the, probably the thing we're most surprised about is the fact that we have won so convincingly without a couple of starters. We'll have Detroit Mercy on Wednesday. Now, you laugh. I laugh. You know, the Titans, of course, are, uh, you know, not expected to be anything, you know, shall we say significant, you know. But, uh, you know, this is a chance for us, again, to kind of sharpen the saw a little bit. And uh, Rocket Watts expected to come back. Ben Howland uh, had mentioned last week that he may be available on Wednesday. And uh, our Paul Jones reporting that he had a little bit of a setback. And then they they had a chance to kind of evaluate him. And uh, he's good to go. So you should see Rocket Watts in a Bulldog uniform for the first time Wednesday night. And he is a true point guard. I would say, and this is going to go back a few years, I would say kind of in the same vein of T.J. Honore. I mean, he is a guy that really wants to distribute the basketball, make everybody around him better. And he might be a little bit better scorer than TJ was. But this is a guy that can run the floor. Uh, Detroit Mercy currently 0-2 on the year. And uh, first of those games is a complete blowout. This will be their third consecutive road game. They opened up with Wyoming and lose 85-47 and then lose to Toledo on Saturday 81-73 and then they'll be at Mississippi State. So they're coming in looking for their first win on the season. Again, a chance for the Bulldogs, hopefully, to kind of stretch their legs a little bit and then uh, get some young guys some playing time. Kind of settle the rotation a little bit, find out who you can trust. So it should be a game that the Bulldogs can handle. Now, it will be on the SEC Network Plus, so you'll have to use the app. But better yet, there are a lot of tickets still available. So if you are in the greater Starkville area, this is a good time to come out. Of course, Sunday we'll play in Starkville as well. That's also a great day to come out. It's a 2 p.m. tip. And so you can drive You can drive up, have lunch, go to the ball game, drive home. Now, tomorrow is a 7 p.m. tip. It's a little bit later. So I understand you folks from Jackson and on down south, maybe as far as Birmingham, it's a little more difficult to get here. But if you're in the area, I encourage you to come out and support the Bulldogs because I do believe this team so far has lived up to our expectations. Wasn't too long ago, you know, we're lamenting some early losses. You remember Iverson Molinar didn't play in the opener last year and we lost, you know, and it's like we got behind early in the year last year and we're like, we're chasing the season and we're already upset. Those are the things that I remember is it was all this unrest. You know, it's like, oh, you know, we didn't win the game in the tournament and we lose to Clemson to open up 53-42. And we were really in that game for a while. We just could never get over the hump. And then, of course, Liberty beats us 84-73. So we start last year 0-2. And a lot of that criticism was warranted. Well, now that we're 2-0, and 
I think some of this praise is warranted. And so let's kind of get behind the team. I'm going to encourage you to do that. I know many people have kind of gotten in the habit of not coming to Mississippi State basketball games. We've just kind of grown accustomed to it. You know, the women were really good. So it's like, hey, if I'm going to go out to the hump, then I want to wait and go and see the ladies play because I know we're going to win. I'm just going to encourage you, as always, you know, anytime that we can get out and support our student athletes at Mississippi State, it's a great thing. So encourage you, if at all possible, get out, come out and support uh, the basketball Bulldogs. And, of course, uh, ladies are off this week, allowing them a chance to kind of rest and recover. Rakia Jackson didn't play in that ball game on uh, Sunday, and that's what we're just told. It was just a precautionary type deal. So uh, she should be good to go and be you know, back when the ladies are back on the floor a week from, uh, I guess it's this coming Monday. So, but uh, you men's basketball, if you need a basketball fix, you get two chances to see the Hoop Dogs in action in Humphrey Coliseum uh, this week. Now, another thing that we have asked recently, too, about Mississippi State basketball is kind of where are we on the renovations? Now, we haven't had an update, I would say, in the last couple of weeks. But the last time that we checked on this, Dave Burry and I both uh, kind of spent some time following up on this stuff just to kind of make sure that we can keep you guys abreast of what's going on, is that things are still moving forward. Things are still moving forward. There was some concern, of course, after the COVID and all the financial shortfalls that go along with that. And, of course, Mississippi State uh, had done a really good job under Larry Templeton and uh, you know Greg Byrne and others, Scott Strickland, kind of building up the Randy Day Fund. Okay, so we've used a lot of that. And so it's not quite as substantial as it once was. We'll have to kind of replenish that. And uh, we've got a guy in there, John Cohen, that'll make sure that happens. But, uh, you know, all of the, a lot, let's say all of, a lot of the infrastructure work, a lot of that stuff that happens kind of below the ground, you know, the stuff for power and if, if things that we need to kind of push these amenities, that's been taken care of. And I believe there was like some locker room stuff that's been taken care of. And so, a lot of that stuff has already kind of happened and kind of unbeknownst to many of you. And if you were here you know, kind of later in baseball season, you, you kind of saw some of that stuff happening around Hump and kind of wondered what was happening. And if you were here this summer, kind of riding around campus, you saw that a lot of that stuff was kind of cordoned, cordoned off and they were working on those things. And so now that's, uh, you know, most of, much of that is in place now. So we are going to continue to kind of move forward, and we will renovate Humphrey Coliseum, and it'll be a venue that we can be very proud of. And it's, listen, that's not to say that we don't like the hump, but it's gotten dated on us. And so we've got to do some things to kind of improve the in-game experience. I know that many of you guys will turn out and come see all of that. Uh, and then, you know, I wonder what's going to happen with the exterior. But uh, the bottom line is just that they are doing some things to modernize Humphrey Coliseum in hopes of making the basketball experience not just better for our fans, but for our student athletes. And you have a stake in that too. You know, I mean, that's part of the experience is having a chance to play in front of some great crowds. And, you know, we had a pretty good crowd the first night. And so midweek games a little more difficult, obviously. But uh, when you get a chance to come, please come out and come. Football season is going to be over very, very quickly. And uh, we're going to talk about when Mississippi State might play a ball game on this show today. So we're going to play basically, you know, two games of, what, nine days? And then we're not going to play again for, you know, five or six weeks. So we could be a little rusty. So could our opponents. It's not just us, you know, that, that you know, has some issues with the layoff there. But the, the reality of it is, is that if we do, you know, get that later bowl game, that we'll have an opportunity, of course, to, um, to get more bowl practices in. 
those are the things if you forget last year is we only got a handful of ball practices in because by the time they made the the formal announcements and uh, put the practice schedules together we were getting ready to go play we had to get out there and head to Fort Worth and play Tulsa you know didn't have a ton of practice time and so your players of course are still working out every day and doing what they need to do to keep themselves game and and football ready but um, didn't have a ton of practice time I thought it showed a little bit I really did and uh, we still managed to win the ball game and so that momentum of winning those final two games I think kind of propelled us into the spring that's why it's so important for us to finish the year on a strong note how great would it be to let's you know let's just end the year on a four-game winning streak we, we took care of Auburn let's take care of Tennessee State let's win the egg ball win the bowl game you end the year on a four-year winning streak you got a lot of juice heading into the offseason because here's the reality and I don't think maybe it'll be quite as bad this year because I think so many people have seen such progress with the Mike Leach offense and this team and the fact that you know, we've got a chance to have five top 25 wins in a regular season, which is crazy to think about. But usually when we lose to Ole Miss, we don't sell bowl tickets. I think this year a lot of people, maybe you just kind of assumed Ole Miss is going to be better than us, and so that loss might not be quite as detrimental, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to win those games. I think we're going to win this weekend. I think we're going to win the Egg Bowl. And I think there will be a lot of euphoria around the football program. And so, in turn, you guys will buy some bowl tickets and turn out. And I'm going to talk today about where I think we may be going, depending on how the schedule plays out. We're going to discuss that today and a few other things. We want to thank you guys so much for always tuning in uh, and supporting me and all of our great sponsors. And Bulldog Burger Company is one of those that, that really benefits because I've had so many people that said, you know what, Steve, when I come up on game day, sometimes it's difficult to get into Bulldog Burger Company because the wait is, is pretty substantial at times. So when they open Tupelo, people are like, hey, this is great because I live right here. I can go. It's still busy, but it's not as busy. Well, then they open up the brand new one in central Mississippi, and people are like, hey, this is perfect because if I'm just passing through Jackson or if I live in the central Mississippi area, I can go into a Bulldog Burger Company whenever I want to. I don't have as long a wait. And so that's the great thing about this is an empire, right? This is a restaurant-quality empire that is spreading around Mississippi. So when you're in town, come by University Drive. That's the flagship. And then Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. You'll love that place. I really like that location. And then a brand new one. The brand new one there in central Mississippi. Flowood Ridgeland area there on Lake Harbor Drive. Go by, have the spring rolls. I was there last week. I'll be there later this week. And the week's getting away from me. Not exactly sure what day I'm going to go. Maybe I'll go tomorrow. Maybe I'll go, to, maybe I'll go today. It's Wednesday, right? Maybe I'll go Wednesday. We'll see. But I love going in there because there is such variety on the menu. It's not just, okay, well, they have a hamburger. Now, they have several, several perfect hamburgers. You'll be glad you went in. I've never had a bad meal there. You won't either. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. It'll make you and everybody around you better looking. I encourage you to do that. We all need more of that. We all do. It's a lot of work to be this beautiful, right? I mean, we look great, right? But we could always look better. Have the spring rolls and maybe get that chocolate shake to go. It's a perfect place for a family night, a guy's night, a girl's night. You can have an adult beverage. You can do whatever you'd like. It's a full-service place. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. Mississippi State reappears in the FBS Bowl rankings at number 25, in the playoff rankings. Uh, So let's kind of run this down a little bit because a lot of people say, okay, well, Steve, we're back in. What does it all mean? Well, there's going to be some bowl bids kind of determined 
by these rankings. Now, let me make sure that I under explain this as best I can, because every year there is some confusion. So here is how this thing works. The SEC has the bowl tie-ins. Let me run down the SEC bowls for you real quick here, okay? And it is a little convoluted because of the playoff, because if you have somebody make the playoff, things change. So the bowl tie-ins, unless something has changed since I, since I you know, bookmarked this article some time ago, then you get the New Year's Six, which is the Chick-fil-A, uh, Chick-fil-A peach, the Cotton Fiesta, the Orange. Uh, and so that you're going to have some SEC teams in there, of course. And so here's how it works. If an SEC team is selected versus other college football playoff team in the Rose Bowl or Sugar, then the SEC isn't tied into the Sugar if a team gets in. It's a little complicated. We'll talk about it later. The rest of the bowl games, obviously. The Citrus Bowl, we've never been there. The Outback Bowl, we've been once. The Texas Bowl, we've never been there. Liberty Bowl, been there a few times. Still hold the attendance record. Music City Bowl, we've been there a few times too. Las Vegas Bowl, we've never been there. I'd love to go to Vegas. Uh, Belk Bowl, back in that thing again. We've been there back in 15. Of course, the Tax Flair Gator Bowl, we went forever and a day without going, and we went uh, three times, right? So Michigan, Northwestern, and then we beat Lamar Jackson in Louisville after Dan Mullen left us. Greg Knox, the winningest coach in Mississippi State football history. How great is that? And then the secondary bowl games, Birmingham Bowl, and then the bad boy Moore's Gasparilla Bowl, formerly known as the St. Petersburg Bowl. We were there back in 16. We knocked off Miami, Ohio. And so we've been to some of these bowl games, but those are your tie-ins. And uh, obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot of football left to be played. So how this thing's going to work out with the Sugar, basically, is, you know, if we get enough teams in the playoff, well, then, of course, then the highest-ranking team in the FBS playoff that didn't make the playoffs will go to the Sugar Bowl. That could be us, could be Ole Miss, could be Texas A&M. Now, let's look at these playoff rankings. Let me just kind of make sense of this as best I can. A lot of this, you know, we're all kind of learning on the fly, right? You know, I mean, let's be honest. Did you ever think we'd be in the FBS playoff rankings this year? I mean, honestly... We're the only four-loss team in the rankings. But let's run them down for you. Number one, Georgia, without a doubt. Number one with a bullet. 10-0, two very winnable games left. They'll be 12-0, barring something totally unforeseen. Alabama there at number two of the 9-1 team. Now, here's the deal. What happens if Georgia beats Alabama and Atlanta? Let's say Alabama wins out, Georgia wins out, and then you have a two-loss Alabama team. Does that knock them from the playoff? Well, I think that's a real possibility, which would mean Alabama would end up in the sugar, which would drop a lot of people down. Of course, if we get two teams in, let's say Alabama beats Georgia. Well, there's no way a one-loss Georgia team's not getting in. Alabama, of course, be a one-loss team. They'd get in. So we'd have two teams in the playoff, which would open up a spot for, for one of us to get the Sugar Bowl. Uh, the number three team is Oregon 9-1. How about that, Joe Moorhead? And Joe's been recently mentioned in connection with the Washington job. You may have heard that Jimmy Lake was fired at Washington. And they made reference to, you know, off the field stuff, on the field and off the field stuff. Makes you wonder if there's not another story coming. You hate to cast aspersions, but uh, for a guy to be fired before the end of the year like that, it's rather interesting. You know, Virginia Tech obviously uh, made a, a change to Justin Fuente fired. And that's going to factor into something uh, deeper in the show. And later in our recruiting segment, we'll talk a little bit about the impact of that. Uh, number four is Ohio State. And then Cincinnati right there at 10. They're kind of that sexy team, right? It's like I think most of America is rooting for Cincinnati to get in. I think most people are. You're thinking, okay, well, what happens if, let's say, Alabama loses 
you know, they could drop from two, certainly out of the top four, and then move Cincinnati up. You know, Oregon, of course, could lose. Ohio State, you know, lost to Oregon. That's one of the things I look at, too. It's like Oregon and Ohio State had the same record, and Oregon won head-to-head, so the committee got that right. Michigan right there at six, and Michigan State there at seven. Notre Dame at eight. And so you begin to ask yourself, how far would a two-loss Alabama team fall? I think it's pretty com- – I think we'd be confident in saying that if the teams around them win and they lose – they will certainly drop out of the top four. And that's really all. At that point, who cares, right? Because then they're going to be your Sugar Bowl representative. Uh, Oklahoma State there at nine, kind of quietly having a great season there at Oklahoma State. Pretty crazy, 91. Wake Forest, 91 at number 10. Baylor is 11 at eight and two. Of course, they, uh, they beat Oklahoma last week. And so they've leapfrogged Oklahoma. Oklahoma now at 13. In between them, number 12, Ole Miss at 8-2. And you got to think there's no way Ole Miss loses this week. I mean, of course, we're all rooting for that. But let's be real with each other. This is not those great Vandy-Ole Miss rivalry games of the past. I mean, this is one of the best rivalries in the Southeastern Conference, right? You got Vandy of the East and Vandy of the West. And uh, what's it been? You know, I guess they split the last 10. Well, th- this is a pitiful Vanderbilt team. Ole Miss should steamroll them. And Mississippi State, if you're, you're rooting interest is Mississippi State, you know, anything short of an upset, you just want Vandy to make this a game for four quarters if they can. I don't think they can, but the deeper they play, the better off it's going to be. Here's the thing that maybe you've, you hadn't thought about. And I know we talk about it. You know what, Steve? It's a short work week, and it is. State's going to play at 11 on Saturday. Ole Miss kicks off at 630. So – you know, by the time that they're even kicking off, we're already breaking down film. You know, so we can get a little bit of a head start into our preparation for Ole Miss. Now, fortunately for them, they're playing at home. You know, it'd be a great situation if they were playing on the road. Then they had to deal with all of that late night travel and things like that. And you know, but that's not the case. So we, we'll get a little bit of a head start. I don't know how much of a difference that makes, but I do think it is rather interesting. Because of those kickoff times, you know, we all hate the 11 a.m. kick, but then you think, wait a minute, by the time Ole Miss gets on the plane home, we've already broken down our film, we're working on theirs, you know, and so I think that gives us a little bit of a, a lead time, and again, not sure how much difference it makes, but I would rather have that extra preparation time than not. Uh, of course, Oklahoma 13, BYU is 14 at 8-2, and two. Wisconsin 15-7-3, quietly having a good season too. Not really going to play their way into a lot, I don't think, but uh, still pretty good considering most of the discussion this year in the Big Ten has been about Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Penn State to a lesser extent. Uh, A&M right there at 16. We could certainly pass them, but we probably need a little help. You know, they're not going to lose two games. But we could pass them. And, and, of course, that would involve us beating Ole Miss. But Texas A&M also kind of in the mix there. Uh, should Alabama make the playoff, A&M could play their way into the Sugar Bowl. And that was the, kind of expected that to happen. And then Ole Miss beats them last week. And I've said already, that's Ole Miss's best win of the year. It's a really good win. I was there at 17. And it uh, wasn't too long ago people were trying to tell us they were the number two team in the country. Pittsburgh at 18. San Diego State at 19 at 9-1. and one. That's the lowest rated a team from out west, I believe that's correct. And then NC State is 20, which helps us. Arkansas is 21. They're going to lose this week and will likely drop out of the playoff rankings, so they're going to play Alabama. UTSA undefeated at 10-0. They're right there at 22. 
Utah 23, Houston 9-1 and one at 24, and then, of course, Mississippi State, not previously ranked Mississippi State. So Houston and Mississippi State join the rankings this week. Now, we should win this week, so we should stay in another week. Well, then, you know, we beat Ole Miss. Well, you're certainly guaranteed to stay in then, and we'll probably end up somewhere in the teens. You know, we've talked about we went from unranked to 17th when we beat Kentucky. One of the things that continues to kind of prop up Mississippi State, and I hate to even use that, that phrasing, but one of the things that aids in the Mississippi State resume is the fact that we have all these top 25 wins. So there's some teams ranked ahead of us that we beat. And so they kind of pull us along with them. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to say, okay, if some teams in front of us lose, maybe we move up a couple spots. Maybe we get 22-23. You know, Ole Miss, I don't know if they move up or not with a win. But then they're maybe 10 spots away from us. And so if we beat them, there is a possibility the committee could move state ahead of Ole Miss. But, again, there are a lot of factors. There's no point at this point anybody making any declarations and saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen because we simply don't know at this point. But we're in the mix. It is possible we could get to the Sugar Bowl. Need a lot of help. But it's possible. One thing's for sure. If Mississippi State wins this why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Let's face it, friends, we live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. 
got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Week, as we expect, that makes a seven and five, which kind of gets us a tick above that glut of teams right there at six and six. You beat Ole Miss, it makes you eight and four right? Well, then that means that you're basically second in the West and third or fourth in the SEC in the bull pecking order, the way it all breaks down in the standings. Because you know what Georgia and Alabama are, and then us and Kentucky kind of right there together. So it's interesting, as, as crazy as this season has been, we could end on a really high note. Got to take care of business. Simple as that. Now, one of the things that I have learned in recent days is that the Texas Bowl really wants Mississippi State. We've never been there, and I think they're kind of banking and hoping that we're 7-5. and five. We also have a huge, huge alumni base in Houston. One of the biggest in the country outside of the state of Mississippi is in Houston. And so we feel like we would sell some tickets. It's an indoor game. Fans will turn out. Uh, probably be a lot of fun. But I'll be honest with you, I think we're going to play our way out of the Texas Bowl. I think we're going to play our way ahead in the bowl pecking order. And let's look at the SEC standings right here. We discussed some of this on Monday, but let's take, since it's irrelevant to the topic that we're discussing, let's take a minute and kind of look at this. And uh, so, you know, again, we expect Georgia to win this week, and we'll get through all this stuff later in the week. But, um, you know, Arkansas, of course, that's a big game for us because they're ahead of us in the rankings and in the standings. They lose to Alabama, then the winner of the Egg Bowl is your number two team in the SEC West. But let's look at these standings because there are, there are a lot of mediocre teams in the SEC this year, and I guess in many respects we're one of them. But we could kind of be kings of that group if we, if we win enough games here at the end. You know, Kentucky 7-3, and three, and you've got to begin to wonder, okay, well, you know, Kentucky's done with SEC play. They get New Mexico State. That's a W. They lose to Louisville. That makes them eight and four, but they're five and three in the league. But that would be an identical record to Mississippi State: eight and four, five and three. We beat them, and so when you begin to maybe sit at that table and start handing out these bowl bids, I think you could make a case. Well, Mississippi State deserves a better bowl bid than Kentucky. Mississippi State overachieved. Kentucky didn't. Mississippi State wins the rivalry game. Kentucky doesn't. Well, then all of a sudden you can say it's a very motivated fan base that's going to sell tickets. I think that's an easy sell. But, of course, if Kentucky wins out, 
that makes them nine and three on the year. And then, you know, there's, there's really not a case for Mississippi State. Other than you can say, well, you know, we finished the game behind them equal in the SEC standings and we beat them head to head. I just don't think that argument rings quite as true with them being a game up overall. You lose that Memphis game, you know, that's going to sting you for the rest of the year. Tennessee, of course, best case scenario for them is seven and five. Same thing for Missouri, South Carolina, and Florida. Now, of course, somebody between Florida and Mizzou is going to finish no better than 6-6 six and because six they played head-to-head this weekend. So that'll be another one of those teams that'll be behind us assuming we win this weekend. No matter what happens in the Egg Bowl, we'd be ahead of them in the pecking order. And, of course, Vanderbilt is out of the mix. Looking at the West, of course, LSU 4-6, and six, they can be no better than 6-6, six and six, so State would be ahead of them. And even if we weren't, even if we're just right there together because of the unrest at LSU and the fact they're changing coaches, they're not going to be real motivated to buy tickets. Now, there, there are some diehard LSU fans who are going to go no matter where it is to go watch the Tigers play. Now, Arkansas, 3-3 three and three in the league. They have two conference games left. They're 7-3 and three overall. Well, if we assume a loss this weekend, then they can be no better than 7-5. and five. So we would finish ahead of them in the rankings and – in the SEC uh, race and overall record. So that's an easy sell. Auburn, of course, 6-4 and four overall. They can be no better than 8-4. and four. They still have Alabama to play as well. So if you're a Bulldog and you really want to see Mississippi State move up to the better bowl picture, then you need to root for Alabama. You need Alabama to win out. And there's no reason to think that they shouldn't. You beat Arkansas, you beat Auburn. You allow some of that traffic to clear for us. And also, too, it gives Alabama a fighting chance to be in the playoff, which, of course, would move Mississippi State up another notch in the the ladder of awareness for bowls. Now, here's the deal with how this thing worked with the tie-ins. Because every year there's these people that, that have these theories. There is no theory. Here is the reality of the situation. When these tie-in contracts are negotiated, the SEC office essentially picks the team. That's right. The, the, the league does. People say, well, you know, well, this, this, this bowl usually has an Eastern Division team, and sometimes it happens that way, especially with the, uh, the lower-tier bowls. But the reality of it is, is Greg Zanke and the folks in the SEC office are going to supply a team. So here is how that process works is let's say, let's take the Music City Bowl for an example. They would submit a list of three teams. Their three preferred teams. That doesn't mean they get one of those three, but they submit their three preferred teams. And, of course, that's kind of an educated guess, that, you know, teams that are comparable record-wise to what they would normally get. Well, then what happens is all the bowl-eligible teams in the SEC then submit their three-team wish list. Okay, this is where we would like to go. And then let's say, for an example, let's say the Music City says, hey, we'd love to have Tennessee. And then Tennessee says, hey, our number one pick is Music City. That's an easy decision to make. You just pair those guys up and you move on with life. And then you go to the next bowl game and the next one. And so you take those three and you try to pair up as best you can so people can go where they want to go, if at all possible. And then your bowl partners can get what they hope to get from a team but that didn't always work out that way you know the Texas A&M folks felt they got shafted a couple years ago they felt like they should be in the Outback Bowl there were many articles and many tears uh, shed over all that and so it will be 
basically the SEC saying, okay, Music City Bowl, we have a contract tie-in. We're gonna, here's your team. We're going to send you this team. Again, Music City Bowl can make their preferences known, but it's not their decision. Now there, now, there are people in the national media that don't understand this process. There are people that cover college football that don't understand this process. There are people that are making bowl projections that don't know this process. I don't understand why. It hasn't changed in many years. It's, it's like when we went to the Outback Bowl, there were so many people that you know, had us going somewhere else. The Liberty, that's what it was. There were people that were saying, hey, well, Liberty really wants Mississippi State. Well, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. But the Liberty Bowl wasn't even one of our three. We didn't even put them down as one of our three from what I understand. And we ended up in the Outback Bowl. And they owed us the Outback Bowl. We should have gone to the Outback Bowl the year before. But because of the situation with Dan Mullen leaving and Nick Fitzgerald being injured, we weren't a great bowl team. You say, well, those guys aren't going to buy tickets. They're going to have to start a backup quarterback. They're going to have to play under interim coach. Mississippi State fans aren't going to come to Tampa. And you know what? They're probably right. We went to Jacksonville. We won the bowl game there. Then the next year, we're in a similar situation, and the SEC office makes it up to us. They send us to the Outback Bowl. We've never been before. They owed it to us. They made it happen. We deserved it the year before. We deserved it in 18. And so we finally get a chance to go. Now, there's a possibility we could go back. I, I don't think they'd want, it, want us back this quickly, uh, but there's always a possibility. And, again, all we have to do is make this decision as difficult on everybody as possible by winning these last two ball games. And, really, it's not a difficult decision at all because we're going to be among the top teams in the SEC in the final standings. And so while there's some people out there that say, hey, we'd, love, we'd rather have this team or that team, you know, if you've got the number three team in the SEC, and that's really what we could be, behind Alabama Georgia. Think about that for a second. Alabama Georgia could be in the playoff, and then you could have Kentucky and Mississippi State with the same record. That's theoretically possible. It's probable in many respects. But let's say Kentucky wins out, and all of a sudden, okay, well, then, you know, let's send Kentucky to the Citrus. Well, they've been there recently, but at the same time, too, you could make that happen. And so it's interesting. There's a lot left to unpack. But when this season began, I told you guys on this show, I said, hey, there's a good chance, you know, we're going to be a Tennessee Bowl team. That's probably what we should expect, be in Liberty or Music City and be happy with that. And we would have been. But now, because of the way the season has unfolded, now we've got an opportunity to play our way into some warmer weather. And that would be really nice too. There are other people who said, well, you know, Texas Bowl will be fine too. I think at 7-5, and five, Texas Bowl would be a lot of fun. Not at 8-4 and four, though. At 8-4, and four, I think we've got to be in Florida somewhere. Right? Don't you think? I think it's the only way it makes sense. If we're 8-4 and four, and you've got to fill you know, the Citrus Bowl, you've got to fill the Gator Bowl, you've got to fill the, uh, the Outback Bowl, I mean, you know, hey, let's figure it out. We've got a chance to play in a Florida Bowl game, and that's how, that's how important all this is. And, of course, an outside shot at the Sugar. But a lot of crazy things have got to happen. I know many people are already kind of getting invested in that, saying, hey, the winner of the Egg Bowl is going to be in the Sugar Bowl. There are a lot of other things that have to happen in order for that to take place. I think right now all we have to do is focus on winning these next two ball games, and then let the traffic clear around us, and then we'll end up, I think, with a really nice bowl trip somewhere. Earlier this year, there were many people that thought we wouldn't even be in a bowl game. It's like, hey, we lose to Memphis. Well, who can you look at in our schedule and say, hey, we're going to be favored to beat them? Well, there weren't a lot of people that we were favored to beat, but we found a way to do it. 
Found a way to beat Kentucky. Found a way to beat Auburn. Found a way to beat A&M. And so this is an improving team. This is an improving program. And so as a result, there is some exuberance around the program. We are a motivated fan base right now, even though we haven't packed out Davis Wade, and I hope that we will uh, for the Egg Bowl. I know many of you, it's going to be difficult to get here to watch us play an FCS team at 11 on Saturday. I'm not making excuses for you, but I get it. And I know Thursday is also family day, but you know what? What's better than, than being with family and watching us celebrate bringing the egg back? So that's the hope. A lot left to play for. We are definitely in a bowl game. We will improve our standing this week and possibly play our way into that group of six, you know, not the New Year's six, but the group of six of the SEC tie-ins. And then with a good winner against Ole Miss, then all of a sudden a lot more possibilities open up uh, for your Bulldogs. So we will update that uh, in the weeks to come. Obviously, we'll, uh, after Monday, after, excuse me, on Monday show, after we wrap up the weekend, we'll have a better idea of kind of how this is shaping up. And, of course, nothing's going to be finalized until after the conference championship games. And, of course, there's a lot riding on that, uh, even though we're not participating in it, you know, because of Alabama-Georgia. Because if we get two teams in the playoff, then everybody moves up a spot in the bowl pecking order in the Southeastern Conference, not to mention all the money that kind of goes along with that. So if you're a Bulldog, no matter how much you hate Alabama, you need Alabama to win. You need Alabama. I don't think Alabama can beat Georgia, but I think that's probably the best chance for us to get two teams in the playoff is Alabama to upset Georgia because I don't think Georgia drops out of the top four after being number one the whole year and losing to number two. I think then Bama goes to one, Georgia probably goes to three or four, and you get two teams in there. And so that's your analysis of that uh, today. And, of course, still a lot of moving parts and all that. We'll break it down as things develop. Next segment of the show is a top 10 list brought to you by close at Blair.com. Blair and I have texted, and he has promised me that his uh, jam band deal, he's going to get that list to me uh, sometime today and so I can listen to those songs and see if I approve of his list, and we'll run that on Friday. I know many of you are huge fans of this band. I am not. I know it's not Nirvana, um, and it's certainly not Green Day. So hopefully we'll have that. But uh, here's the deal. Blair likes music, but he also likes working with Bulldogs. And so if you are looking to refinance your current mortgage, do a second mortgage or perhaps buy a home, let's keep it in the family. Go with Blair. Closewithblair.com. Blair Chandler is a longtime friend of mine, known the guy a long time. I trust him. You will too. And you'll find yourself kind of being fast friends with Blair because he is an easy guy to know. And if you're Bulldog and listen to the show, and, you know, I guess even if you're a Rebel, listen to the show. You just let Blair know, hey, I heard about you on the Boneyard, and he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a $500 value. And let me give you his number just between us girls. 601-500-2344. That's his personal cell number. 601-500-2344. He texts me from that number all the time. So you're not going to call and just be on somebody's voicemail kind of hoping and waiting for a call back. You're going to have direct access to the guy, Blair Chandler. A top 1% close ratio in the industry, works for Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five mortgage lenders in America. So this is not some fly-by-night, some problem lender you're dealing with. A guy that's got 21 years of experience in the industry. This guy knows how to get your loans closed. He does. Trust me, he does. Great guy, does a great job do a great thing for you. Again, that's closeofblair.com. And I always mention to him, you heard about him on the boneyard to get your appraisal paid for. So 
I had uh, a fellow reach out recently, and I apologize I didn't write the name down. Maybe, maybe I did. Let me check here real quick. I do have it. It's Myron Johnson. Myron Johnson requested one of the best. I, I, you know what? I got you wrong here, Myron. You requested somebody else, and I'm sorry. We're going to do them next week. Sorry about that, Myron. Sorry for the false alarm. I'll get your band next week. But I had another request, and I said, hey, I couldn't do Myron's band and this singer-songwriter in the same week. But it's Jim Croce. And some of you said, Steve, Jim Croce. Yeah, yeah, so here's the thing. Here's what you don't know about me. Is So another lifetime ago, I was a program director at a radio station, WCJU, in my hometown of Columbia, Mississippi. We were an adult contemporary station. And I uh, had Jim Croce on the playlist very extensively. So I am very well-versed in his catalog. We had the Greatest Hits, Photographs, and Memories album. And I think just about every song on that album was on our playlist. There were a couple of them that kind of rotated out. But Jim Croce has an incredible story. It's a very sad story in some respects because he never fully got to appreciate his own success. But Jim Croce was a guy that... Um, yeah, basically was a musician, but didn't really get into get serious about it until he attended Villanova. But he was part of the kind of like the state singers. He was involved in you know the the music scene up there, put some bands together, and just basically played wherever they could get gigs. And he caught the bug, and he's like, man, I love playing on stage. I love writing music. And he met a guy named Maury Mulehausen. I may be saying that wrong, and I apologize to the family. Uh, but Maury was a classically trained guitarist, and so they kind of became partners. And so when you listen to Jim Croce's music, it's not just straight Americana. You've got this splash of very technical guitar. It's all acoustic, and there are so many people to say, well, oh, Steve, I love the Unplugged stuff. I loved Americana stuff. Then you'll love Jim Croce, an incredible singer-songwriter, and uh, really wrote kind of in a, a sing-song storytelling way. It was never just, hey, this cryptic stuff. He was always kind of telling a story. A lot of it about his life, a lot of it autobiographical. But Jim Croce, what's crazy is uh, he decided to marry Ingrid, who was his college sweetheart, and his family, this is absolutely insane, his family gave him a wedding gift for him to record an album because they wanted him to get it out of his system. They were hoping, okay, let's pay for this album so he'll go out and cut his hair and get a real job, and then he can go be a productive member of society. And so they cut the album, and it's called Facets, and the production value of the album is awful. It is awful. But there is some magic on that album. And so they, they began to kind of go around and play and pedal their, they pressed 500 copies, I guess. Well, they ended up selling them. Then they recorded a second album with you, Jim and Ingrid. It was the two of them because she was also a singer-songwriter herself. So they became a duet. And then they got married and eventually um, had a child on the way. And at this point, Jim Croce decided, you know what? I'm really going to commit to this. I've got to make it big. I've got a kid on the way. And then things began to happen. Things really began to happen. Uh, recorded some great stuff. Began to get a little airplay. But they still weren't making a ton of money. And so they go, he and Maury go to Europe. And, um, you know, they're all over, they're playing everywhere. And uh, kind of built a bit of a cult following over there. And then he comes back and they're touring, 
I guess it was the, um, I can't remember the tour. But anyway, so they played at a place where I once lived, in Natchitoches, Louisiana. That's where Northwestern State is. And the last show that Jim Croce and Maury ever played was in Natchitoches. They were on their way after that to Austin College. And they get on a plane, and uh, there was uh, some pilot error. Well, the plane crashes into a huge tree on takeoff, and Jim Croce dies at 30 years of age. He had just finished recording another album. And so what's the saddest part of all this is Jim Croce had written Ingrid a letter and kind of poured his heart out to her and said, I'm going to give up music. I want to, I've given it my best shot. It didn't work out. And so I'm going to come home and be a husband and a father and I'm going to get a real job. And uh, I'm just, I've given up on music. Well, he dies. And then, of course, they release this music that ends up being absolute magic. Absolute magic. And he has all these big hits. They saw all these records and he never lived to, to see it. And uh, what's interesting is when I was in Natchitoches, Ingrid came to Natchitoches and she met with former Mayor Joe Sampate and she wanted to erect a plaque on that tree. And uh, they, had to, they had to tell her they'd cut the tree down years ago. But uh, she came back to kind of honor his memory. I had a chance to meet her at a, uh, a restaurant downtown on the Cane River. Pretty interesting. So I've had some brushes with Jim Croce's uh, music over my life. I have a great appreciation for him. And I think it's important that you know his story because it's not as simple as, okay, this is a great guy that played in a bunch of coffee houses and wrote some pretty cool tracks and then just kind of disappeared. It's just that he passed away just before his career was about to take off. And that's really, really sad. So here we go. Top 10 Jim Croce songs. There is not a bad one on this list. Number 10 is Walking Back to Georgia. It's a little double entendre because she was around Macon. But the reality of it is the girl's name is Georgia, and she believed in him, and he broke up with her. He's like, ah, you know, I'm going to go back to her. I've made a mistake. You know, I'm going to go back and try to patch this relationship up. So, again, some double entendre. A very clever song. I think you'll dig that one. Uh, number nine, Photographs and Memories. And that's one of those ones that really kind of hit it big after he died because, you know, it's about loss, and it's about, you know, losing relationships, and it's about people from your past that are no longer around, and all you're left with is Photographs and Memories. Number eight, one of the coolest songs in the catalog. It was a pretty big radio hit. A lot more up-tempo than some of his other stuff, but it's uh, Working at the Car Wash Blues. I think you'll dig that one. Uh, I believe that was on the final album, too. I think that was the third single on the final album. Number seven, this is a huge hit for him. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be that way. And again, one of those introspective, you know, lover's lament type songs, but... He sings them all in such a personal way. He is very endearing to the listener. So it's like rather than feel sorry for him, you're always kind of like, hey, I'm just kind of glad he's doing okay. And even though he's had these negative feelings, you kind of identify with him. And it's like it, you kind of, it ends on a positive note a lot of times. Number six, I Got a Name. A huge, huge hit. I believe that was the last single released uh, before he passed away. I believe that's the correct. I got a name, and it's uh, it, it, it's really a song of empowerment, and I'm big on that kind of stuff too. I think you guys will dig that one. I think the final five here. I think most people would agree these are the top five, but may not agree on the order. This is one of the saddest things I'm gonna tell you. Is on the final album they released, one of the biggest songs, is that he had written to Ingrid, and it was about all the time they'd been away. You know they could you know they only they could only talk on occasion 
they'd write letters because it was so expensive, especially when he was out of the country. International calls were so expensive. And so he wrote this song about her, and it says, I'll have to say I love you in a song. I mean, just it's gut-wrenching. It really is. But it is a beautiful, beautiful song. Number four, this one's not so beautiful, but it is kind of clever. It's Operator. That's not the way it feels. And he's making a call out to California to, to talk to his ex-girlfriend who ran away with his best friend, his former best friend, Ray. And so by the end of the call, it's like, the operator has basically, because you guys don't get this, back in, back in the, I'm from the 1900s. And so back in the 1900s, at times you had to have an operator connect you. Like in the 60s and 70s, you couldn't just dial direct. You'd have to have an operator connect you on long distance calls so they could charge you accordingly. And so by the time the song is over, he and the operator have kind of worked through his little issue here. He's like poured his heart out to the operator and he's like, yeah, just, you know what, forget it. Don't even make the call. I don't want to talk to them anyway. It is an absolute classic gem of a song. Number three, and you, you've heard all of these. You don't mess around with Jim. You know, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You know, you've heard that. And you don't mess around with Jim. It's a great tune. Many of you would have that number one. I would not. I have it number three. Now, the number two song is arguably the most recognizable song in the Jim Croce catalog. And a lot of people play this at weddings, at funerals. It's one of those multi-purpose songs. But again, this is Jim kind of pouring out his love for Ingrid in a song. And it's time in a bottle. If I could place time in a bottle, the first thing I'd like to do is spend it, for you, spend it with you. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. Uh, it is an incredibly poignant song. It's very pointed emotionally. And if you hear that and it doesn't make you think of somebody, then you, I kind of wonder what you've done with life. Because this is one of those songs of remembrances that makes you kind of take an inventory, whether you have somebody significant in your life or not. It's a very, very important song. And number one, though, because I don't like to end on ballads. You know what I'm saying? Even if they're the best songs, we're going Bad, Bad Leroy Brown. Another up-tempo song. You guys have not heard this one before, too. Meanest cat in the whole dawn town. Stronger than old King Kong, meaner than a junkyard dog. It's bad, bad Leroy Brown. Kind of, I won't say it's, um, it's kind of Elvisy in some respects, but it's one of those songs, too, that's just kind of, it's impossible to listen to without tapping your foot. So there you go, Jim Croce. I, I'll be honest with you, when I first got the request, I said, I don't know how much my listeners are going to enjoy this, but you know what? I enjoyed this, and I hope the gentleman that requested it enjoyed it, too. It was fun for me to kind of go back and research Jim again, listen to all these great tunes, because many of these I have not listened to maybe since the 90s, early 90s, uh, when I was still DJing. And, um, you know, now you go back and listen. It's like, you know, music is a great time machine. It's like it takes me back. I could even smell the carts in the radio station, you know, what we use for commercials. It was insane. So thanks so much for the request. I appreciate it more than you know. And uh, you guys keep the requests coming. I get them every day. Many of them we've already done, but uh, we do get some new ones. We've actually had some requests for some Motown here as of late. So we'll work on some of that here in the coming weeks. But uh, if you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. And if you're not already following me on Twitter, what are you doing with life? All right, let's uh, begin to break down some Tennessee State stuff. This segment is show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Stand man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Everybody up there will do a great job for you because in their minds, you're family. They're like family to me. 
if you can't make it to town and meet my family, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. You'll be so glad you check those guys out. The latest and greatest in all Mississippi State fashions. You can find us about everything you need there for your home, your office, whatever you need. You can find it at Campus Bookmart. And again, on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. Promo code BSR. All right, time to look at Tennessee State. Some would say, well, you know, Steve, it's Tennessee State. Well, we're going to do them their proper respect here. And we're going to work through this. Uh, I had a chance to uh, listen to Eddie George today. The uh, media relations guy sent me over a link. I was able to kind of listen in as Eddie George answered some questions about the team. Interesting season. You know, Eddie George, of course, it's a great thing. It's a great thing that Eddie George is in coaching. A class act all the way, a tremendous college player, a tremendous NFL player, one of the greatest of all time. Leading rusher in Tennessee Titans history, if I'm not mistaken, for now, Derrick Henry will uh, will likely pass that if he remains healthy. But the reality of it is this is really good for college football, not just for HBCUs. I mean, Dion going to Jackson State's big news. Eddie George going to Tennessee State is big news. And I think, number one, it removes a lot of financial burdens. You know, it's like you get these proven guys. Maybe they're not proven coaches, but they're proven football players that bring a proven football culture to these schools. And I think Eddie George is going to do great things at Tennessee State. Of course, he's already been mentioned in connection with some additional jobs. I don't know if he's interested in those things or not. I know Akron has uh, mentioned Eddie George as a possibility, as a candidate there. He was asked about that said he has no interest in the position. I think we take him at his word. We'll see. But Tennessee State, uh, listen, this is a program that has not done an awful lot in the last couple of years. And that's, that's just kind of the, the bitter truth of the deal. You know, they went two and five last year during a COVID year. Really, really rough stretch there. And uh, a lot of these games were competitive, but – they never could really get over the hump. And it's a talent issue there as well. They beat Eastern Illinois 21-20 last year to beat UT Martin 26-24. But uh, not not a good year by any stretch. You go back to the last full year, which was 2019, they were 3-9 and nine that year. 3-9, and nine, they beat Valley. They beat Austin P 26-24 for homecoming. They were in transition that year. And they closed out the year with a big win at Tennessee Tech 37-27. Now, Let's go to the Eddie George era. This year, they're playing uh, an 11-game schedule. They're 5-5 five and five coming in. They lose game one to Grambling, 16-10. They're blown out in Memphis by Jackson State, 38-16. So they begin the year 0-2, not off to a great start. They rebound the next week. Take down Kentucky State there at Nissan Stadium, 41-7. They're blown out the next week by SEMO, which makes them one and three. Then they get it together a little bit. They beat Austin P. They play Austin P twice this year. They beat Austin P. beat Tennessee Tech again. Well, now all of a sudden, they're a 500 team. They beat Eastern Illinois. They beat Murray State. They're five and three. So they put together a four-game winning streak after beginning the year 0-2. 
and then they begin to have some injuries, and the depth issues kind of show up. They lose to UT Martin, 41-20. They lose to Austin P, 36-7, and got really physically beat up in that ball game. That game was in Nashville, and uh, some of that is going to kind of carry over into this week. Now, Eddie did say that uh, you know their goal is to finish strong. You know they're not coming down here to play it close. They're coming to play football. It'll be a great measuring stick for them. I don't think that you're going to have a lot of those guys. Uh, you know, go on and play in the National Football League. But I have heard they've got a really, really intriguing defensive end, and we're going to talk about that uh, in this segment. But looking at their numbers, it's all rather interesting. I mean, it is. You look at some of these guys, these individuals, you know. So, Devin Starling is their star running back. He was banged up against Austin P, averaging 76.7 yards a game. 767 yards on the ground this year, four-and-a-half-yard average, three touchdowns with a long of 32. Jeremy Hickbotham is their quarterback. They do run kind of a zone read type deal, a lot of quarterback runs. Jeremy Hickbotham, 261 yards rushing, 3.8, but seven touchdowns and a long of 65. They don't run it a whole lot with him, but just enough to kind of keep the linebackers honest. But here's the deal. Jeremy Hickbottom is questionable, and I understand very questionable for this ball game. Uh, he was carted off the field last week, had to have his head immobilized. He did give a thumbs up and had, you know, full use of his extremities, but um, took a pretty big lick there. And so I don't know how much they'll run him this week, even if he is available. But he is their guy. And so Mississippi State could be seeing a 5-5 five and five Tennessee State team without their top two offensive players, at least not at full capacity, shall we say. Uh, Jalen Rouse also run a little bit for them too, but outside of that, they don't have anybody else over 100 yards on the year. 12 rushing touchdowns for them. They've allowed 15. Passing-wise, uh, Hickbottom – a quarterback rating of 134.46, so he has been pretty decent. 140 of 243 with four interceptions, completion ratio of just over 57%, 1,847 yards and 12 touchdown passes. So a 12 to 4 touchdown to interception ratio, throwing for 185 yards per game. Uh, Devion Bryant and uh, Shalil Garnett have both played a little bit, but Hickbottom has been the guy. Uh, for them now on the receiving side of things their best receiver arguably Radell Rahman played nine games 477 yards and six touchdowns along with 63 averaging 53 yards per game and of course Devin Starling uh, best offensive player for them outside of Hickbottom also one of their leading receivers with 33 grabs on the year which leads the team 303 yards no touchdowns along of 26 you get beyond him, it's kind of feast or famine, right? Deron Johnson, 18 grabs and three touchdowns. He has a long of 41. Vincent Perry has found the end zone once. And Zaire Thornton, eight catches. Very efficient, though. 104 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, so that's how they look on the offensive side of the football. Defensively, James Green is their leading tackler with 69 tackles on the year in one sack, also an interception and a quarterback hurry. They have done a good job kind of getting their hands up and knocking passes down, which is kind of crazy when you consider this. 37 pass breakups on the year for them. They have allowed 38, but 37 uh, pass breakups, that's a lot. Uh, 
Quarterback hurries, they haven't been able to finish a whole lot, but 25 hurries on the year and uh, nine interceptions uh, to go along with a team 25 sacks on the year. So to hear Eddie George tell it, they're going to devise a a scheme. He says we're going to make them sustain some drives. It sounds like drop eight to me. That's what it kind of – we, we should be familiar with that. And as Mike Leach says, nobody's seen more of that than he has. But the reality of it is, is this is a team, obviously, that Mississippi State should be able to out-athlete. Yeah, looking a little bit deeper here, the defensive end that I'm talking about is Tadarius Patterson. Tadarius Patterson, 29 tackles on the year, six tackles for loss, and then six, all six of those are sacks. The leading TFL guy for them is James Green. He has seven on the year. Where's number eight? And he is a redshirt junior linebacker out of Olympia High School in Orlando, Florida. 6'1", 220 pounds. So he is an SEC size-wise linebacker. And he's got the production numbers to kind of match. So we'll kind of see how that, you know, plays out for them. Uh, leading cover guy for them appears to be uh, Eddie Graham. Eddie Graham, a senior from Hudson, Florida, 5'10", 185 pounds. Where's number three? Uh, Corey Raham is a safety also from Winter Garden, Florida, 6'2", 195 pounds. So we'll see how things progress with them. But the reality of this is, is that Mississippi State ought to be able to kind of uh, line up and do pretty much what they want to do. we got to play clean. That's the main thing is, this, you know, we should win this game easily. But the reality of it is, is that we go out there and, and don't play well. We're going to, you know, we're going to let those guys hang around. We talk about field goal kickers a lot uh, here lately at Mississippi State. Uh, they have not been very good either. They are 9 of 17 on the year. Antonio Zeta, 8 of 16 on the year. And then James Lowry, 1 for 1. And that was a short one, uh, under 29 yards. And like everybody else, once it gets over 40 yards, it's really a crapshoot. The longest field goal of the year, 39 yards. So maybe they get in a kind of no man's land and decide to go for it. Now, what's interesting, too, they have kicked off 43 times and have just 13 touchbacks. So what that tells me is we will have the opportunity to bring some kicks out. Now, does that mean Tulu plays? You know, if he's 100% or close to it, then, yeah, I think so. But if not, I think you hold him out, let uh, Jaquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson kind of handle that, and then have him closer to 100% uh, for the Egg Bowl. James Lowry has done most of the kickoffs, 35 of those. He has 11 of the touchbacks. Caleb Mosley has seven kickoffs, two of those touchbacks. He actually has the better average of the two, 62-yard average on the kickoff. So we'll see how that progresses. But the reality of it is, and you guys know this, is as long as Mississippi State doesn't get in their own way, they should win this game handily. Now, punt returning, they have Dayron Johnson back for them. Um, he has done a pretty good job for them. He's the punter, excuse me, and the kick, and he's done some kickoff return too. He's the punt return guy. Uh, nine returns, averaging 17.3 yards a return. Probably need to kick it away from him, along a 47. So he is a guy that has uh, been a weapon for them in the return game and also a pretty skilled kickoff return guy as well. Has one touchdown on the year, had a 90-yard kickoff return for touchdown among his 15 returns, 23-yard average. So a lot of that obviously is going to boil down to blocking, as you guys know. It's not uh, as easy as some people uh, would suspect. Zach Dobson has also done some return stuff for them as well. Not nearly as effective as a punt returner, but it's done a decent job as a kick returner. But they have mixed it up a lot. 
They've had a handful of guys return kicks this year and uh, averaging 19.53 yards a return. Now, if, if Scott Goodman's out there, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of this stuff, uh, to be honest with you. I think that we'll do a good job kind of uh, keeping things down. Now, what's interesting when you look at some of these superlatives and things of that nature, look at the red zone numbers. The 33 trips to the red zone, they've scored in 25. 25 of those. 17 of those touchdowns, eight of those, uh, excuse me, three of those field goals made. They've attempted eight red zone field goals and missed five of them. So we'll see how that goes. But um, they have not had a great year, but they have gotten better down the stretch. And again, injuries really are a factor when you have a team that lacks depth, and that's kind of what they're dealing with uh, there at Tennessee State. So we'll see how that kind of plays out for us. But um, we haven't played an FCS team this year. We haven't played one in two years now. Uh, so we'll look forward to that. And I, here's how I think State will approach this. And I shared some of this on Monday. I think you run the starters out there and you hopefully get the lead and you're able to pull those guys maybe after the first possession in third quarter. You put in your second team offense, let Chance Lovertich and Caleb Ducking and those guys go play a little bit and kind of save some wear and tear on your starters. And that's really where this war of attrition with Ole Miss, I think, managing these games this weekend, I think, can have a real impact on the Egg Bowl. That's why we really need Van- – we'd love Vanderbilt to win. That would make everything a lot simpler. But I don't expect them to really even keep the game competitive late. But what we really need is for them to make Ole Miss's starters play deeper into the ball game than we have to play. And so the sooner we can get some separation this game, I think the better chances it gives us against Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. Because we've talked – you start adding all these little things up, you know, let's say you save two hours of wear and tear, two quarters of your starters, and they have to play a quarter or two longer, and then they're playing deeper into the night. I think, you know, you think about that. We've got more time to prepare. We've got uh, more time to rest our starters. And in a short work week, all of that adds up, and hopefully it adds up to a victory for Mississippi State. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, the Egg Bowl next week. But the reality of this is is that, you know, a lot of things that happen this week are going to have an impact on what happens next week. And so I'm kind of glad we're playing Tennessee State and they're playing Vanderbilt because they, they still have some SEC guys on that roster at Vanderbilt, even though it's not a great team by any stretch of the imagination. But when you look at what Vanderbilt did last week, I mean, they made Kentucky play them. You know, Kentucky kind of got off to a good start and it seemed like they were going to kind of run away with the ball game. Vanderbilt fought back a little bit. They had to play a little bit deeper than maybe they ordinarily would. But uh, looking at some of these Vanderbilt notes, too, you know, from from last week, I I think it's important to understand that this is a team that's not going to quit. Now, Tennessee State's not going to quit either. But listen, let's be honest. Tennessee State, Vandy would probably beat those guys pretty handily, I would suspect. Uh, But looking at last week's, you know, game against Kentucky, and, and Kentucky gets off to a good start, you know, against Vanderbilt. You know, they do. They they. It's a 7-3 ball game after one, and so you're having to kind of get in there and play with a little more intensity. And then they break it open there in the second. So it's 31-3 at the break. Then Vandy wins the third quarter 8-0. Then they score again in the fourth there. And so they had to probably play a little bit harder than they wanted to in this one to kind of finish it off. But, uh, you know, so Vanderbilt didn't quit and won the second half 14-3. So – you know, the more points they score in that ball game and the more competitive that game is against Ole Miss, 
the better it is for Mississippi State. So we talked about pulling for Alabama. Of course, we, it's, a, it's a natural that we're going to pull for Vanderbilt. But this is a really, really bad Vanderbilt team. I think we all know this. This is a team that Ole Miss should not have any trouble with. And listen, I, I don't ever root for injuries under any circumstances, ever. Um, and so I, I think that's pretty tacky when people do that. I just want them to play a physical ball game. And that's what it really boils down to. And you look at this, you know, people say, well, you know, it's Vanderbilt. You know, well, here's the thing, too. You go back to 2010, you know, Vanderbilt won three in a row against Ole Miss. 2010, 2011, 2012. Then Ole Miss goes on a three-game winning streak, and then they trade games for a while. Vanderbilt wins in 16. Ole Miss wins in 17. Vanderbilt wins in 18. And then the last two have just not been competitive. 31-6 to game in 19. Then last year... Uh, they just carved Derek Mason's team up 54-21. And, um, you know, do we need a game like that again this time? You know, probably not. But the reality of, of that Ole Miss-Vanderbilt thing is, you know, Vanderbilt gets up to play Ole Miss. They, they do. I just don't think it matters. It's, you know, so you, you think about all the things that go on in life. You can want to as much as you want, but you better be able to have some guys that can make some plays for you. And uh, that's what Vanderbilt is really lacking is guys that can get out there and compete and make things interesting. But, again, there's just so much with this because this, you know, this is the game of the year for us. I mean, it determines so much. It's not just about in-state bragging rights this year. It's not. There, there are better bowl destinations. And the thing that I go back to, and I know there are a lot of Ole Miss people that listen to this show, and Ole Miss is having a much better year than I expected. They are. And I think they have found a way to win close ball games. And that's why I think, you know, State's been in some of those games too, and we've we found a way to lose some of those games. So we need to get some separation in the ball game, to say the least. But when you've got so much on the line here, um, you know, you've got to bring your best effort. Now, the rest of that story is Mississippi State's a much younger team than Ole Miss. Ole Miss is kind of built to win this year. You know, you look at that, that roster, they've got a lot of guys out there that um, – have been very good players and many of them are going to leave and so it's important I think to look at it in that context too is that you know they're probably a year or two roster wise more mature than Mississippi State is and, and just kind of looking back to that Vanderbilt game last year of course Vanderbilt didn't want a game it went 0-9 last year uh, and really none of those games were competitive outside of that game with us and they played Ole Miss the week before they played us but it's, in, it's interesting to watch it all unfold. And, of course, we were all pulling for Vandy last year, and maybe we didn't pull hard enough. But, you know, it was a 21 nothing ball game after one quarter last year. And then Ole Miss kind of cruised the rest of the way. And then Vanderbilt, I guess, made it a little more competitive there in the second quarter. And then Matt Corral and the group just destroyed him in the third quarter and put the game away. I mean, it's a 54-14 ball game. After three quarters, we want to avoid that Vanderbilt at all costs. We really, really, really want to uh, kind of make sure that that doesn't happen this week. Now, one of the things, too, you know, looking at this Vanderbilt team this year is that they have, you know, a couple different options at quarterback. You know, Kenny Seals is a guy that um, really more of a prototypical, you know, pocket passer, and Seal is a guy that can get out and run a little bit. They've done some creative things with him in the run game. Uh, you know, here as of late. But, you know, Kenny Seal, I think, got the start last week. I'm double-checking all this just to be sure, just so we can kind of talk about this, you know, with some accuracy. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they played both quarterbacks last week, and and looking at the individual numbers here, yeah, Ken Seal started, and he goes 12 of 18 with 87 yards and throws two picks, sacked three times. They bring in Mike Wright. He then goes seven for 11, 58 yards, a couple touchdowns. So do they start Ken Seals, or do they go back to Mike Wright? You know, I, I be honest with you, if I am Clark Lee with Ole Miss's uh, – run defense that has played pretty well last week. Give him credit. I think you add Mike right into the mix in that run game, and then maybe you can make this game somewhat competitive. Maybe you can. So we'll see. And we'll preview a lot more of that, you know, later uh, in the week when we pick the weekend on Friday. And it is a full slate of games this week. And there are a ton of games in the SEC because we've got so many teams uh, playing on a conference, and including Mississippi State. So, yeah, I expect Mississippi State to win the game handily. Uh, I think Chance Levertich, when given the opportunity, listen, we don't ever run the halfback dive just to get the game over with. We'll continue to run our offense, and I think we'll get some separation, and I think Tennessee State will kind of realize, hey, it was nice to come play in an SEC venue. And then I think Chance and those guys are going to be like, hey, I want to get out here and play and show Coach that I can do it. And so I think we can continue scoring. And I think the best thing for us to do is to get that out of the way as quickly as possible and just kind of put your feet up and watch the kids play. Do we see Sawyer Robertson and Daniel Greek this week? I think it's a possibility because I mean, you can still preserve the red shirt, right? You still got four games, and neither of those guys have played, and you're not going to play more than three games the rest of the year. They can play in every game. And we fully don't expect them to play in, in the, uh, the Egg Bowl or the Bowl game, you know, barring some kind of injury. Uh, and we certainly don't wish that on anybody. But the reality of it is, is that this is, this is a situation here where Mississippi State kind of has to use the full expanse of the roster to kind of keep guys fresher uh, for the egg ball because everything is constricted by two weeks. And so, you know, they've already scaled back on practice. I don't know if you guys are aware of that, but we're not practicing quite as hard or as long this late in the year. And the the guys have done a good job talking to some of the coaches tonight. They said, you know, hey, listen, I think our guys have kind of figured out the sooner we get this stuff done and get it correct, we can get on out of here. And so tonight we get a a media advisory that we ordinarily were – I guess it's between 6.15 and 6.30 – we were told, hey, you need to be there around 6. We're going we're gonna to knock off a little early today. So they're trying to keep their legs under them. Now, next week, I understand the practice schedule is going to be uh, we'll practice Monday, Tuesday. And then that's it. That's it. So we don't have a whole lot of time to install Ole Miss. So you have some you know, support staff that are already kind of working diligently, kind of cutting up tape and that sort of stuff for Ole Miss. And then our coaches, of course, will go to work on that right away once the ball game against Tennessee State is over. But you know as well as I do, there are going to probably be some, some fundamental elements that, of the Ole Miss package that we already kind of get an advanced look at. And maybe we don't practice with the team as much on that, but you know game plan-wise we'll have that ready to go because it is going to be a very, very short week. And call this an educated guess. I suspect the day off will be Wednesday. I suspect that'll be the case. You know, we ordinarily practice on Sunday and take the day off on Monday as mandated by the NCAA. We probably will move that to Wednesday. I suspect we'll have a full practice on Monday, which will be kind of like a Tuesday practice, walk it through on uh, Tuesday. You know, but we'll see. You know, maybe technically I guess Friday could be the day off. We'll just kind of see. I I don't know. I'll try to find out for you guys and talk about it on Friday. But, you know, we're we're probably not going to do a whole lot on Wednesday. I would say at most it's a walk through Wednesday is we prepare, which should be an ordinarily kind of a Friday practice. We kind of do a little walkthrough and then 
go through all our travel stuff. But um, it's nearly here, you know. And it's like I'm just so glad we're in a position. There were so many of you that said, you know, Steve, I want to be bowl eligible before we go and play Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. I don't want it to come down to that. We have to be six and six, and we're five and six rolling into the Egg Bowl. Then we were thinking, okay, let's get it knocked out by Tennessee State. Well, we've got it all done, and we still got Tennessee State to play. So now we're kind of playing for positioning. But you know what next week is. We're going to have a lot of fun with that on the show next week. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Brooks and I traded some emails today. I'm a big Brooks Bryan fan, always have been. Brooks is on a pair of great College World Series teams here at Mississippi State, played with a lot of great players. A guy that's very invested in Starkville and very invested in Mississippi State. So if you're looking to be a part of our community, let me encourage you to give Portico a chance to be your new home. Very easy to find. You turn off of 82 on the 12. You take the very first right, which is Pat Station Road. That takes you across all West Point there at the intersection. And they're putting in a new bridge right there, too, in case you didn't know, because all you guys are moving out here. And uh, then there's Portico. If I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I would be. It's 1.1 miles from campus. Easy access to 82 and 25. Very easy place to find. And you're on the best side of campus. You're on the back side of campus where it's quiet. Close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy and a little peace and quiet. That great walking trail there, this great neighborhood, it's going to be awesome. Now, if you're looking to move now, you're a little bit too late. Phase one is already complete. Everybody's bought up, moving in, having a great time. Phase two, you can still have some say in how it all goes down. You can pick your lot. You can pick your house plan. So whether you want a two-bedroom, three-bedroom, four-bathroom, four-bedroom house, four-bath house, they can help you with that. And say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Here's the lots available to you. You pick it. You get the house plan, so they get to work. And I believe three or four of those spots are already taken. So you need to act today. So if you're looking to move here in the next several months to Starkville, reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan. He's my friend, your friend, a friend of Mississippi State. And uh, Brooks will give you all the information you need. And if listen, if you're, if you're thinking of moving up here and you're already talking to a realtor and they haven't mentioned Portico, you need to ask about that. Say, so, hey, I want to go out there. It's going to be brand new construction. I deserve to have that at least once in my life. Call or text Brooks Bryan today, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk a little recruiting. We have never played Tennessee State, so I didn't want to spend the week recounting great Tennessee State or FCS games. So we're going to spend some time getting caught up with recruiting, and it's a good thing we did. It's been a pretty interesting uh, stretch here. Now, we picked up a commitment earlier this week, Marquez Dorch. He is a guy, you know, basically since uh, MJ Daniels signed with Ole Miss, that we've kind of conceded to Ole Miss and said, well, he'll just go with him. The the guys are very close. But uh, Dorch is here now. He is now committed to Mississippi State. And I think it's important to kind of understand kind of where it's been and how it's been. There were times I didn't think this was ever going to happen. And I said as much on Gene's page. I said, guys, as long as MJ is going to be at Ole Miss, Dorch is going to be there. Well, I don't know what's going to happen with MJ long term, but Dorch is not going to Ole Miss. And if, and if he does, it'll be you know a, a change in the weather. Marquez Dorch also the now highest rated commitment on the Mississippi State commitment list. Ole Miss kind of saw him as a defensive back, and apparently that's where the rub was. Mississippi State saw him as a receiver. But here's what I would say to that. How many times have we talked about, well, 
the reality of it is, is they tell these guys what they want them to hear until they get them on campus. You know, so if you recruit a guy, I remember Russell Shepard was the Under Armour All-American quarterback in that same class back in 09 with Chris Garrett with LSU. Everybody that saw that kid play knew that he would never play down a quarterback in the, in the Southeastern Conference. He spent one day in practice, and then he's running routes and spent some time as a receiver, ultimately got disenchanted with the LSU program and left. But the transfer portal, you got to be a little more careful about your recruiting promises, right? So, Dorch decommits Ole Miss and then now has committed to Mississippi State. So, let's look at this recruiting profile a little bit here. Just if you're not familiar with him, he had offers, of course, from State and Ole Miss, Arkansas, Auburn, Indiana, Kansas, UL Lafayette, Memphis, Miami, South Alabama, Southern Miss. Wants to play wide receiver. It had a good year. They get beat last week by Laurel. The season is over. The reality of it is, though, this is another long, lean, quick, speedy receiver. This is a guy that can turn a five-yard hitch into a touchdown. If you watch some of his high school highlights, I would encourage you to do so. If you're a subscriber to Gene's page, you can read my comments in the uh, column, you know, what's uh, what's Mississippi State getting to Marquez Dorch. And if you're not, you can go watch his huddle highlights yourself. And you can see he can make a lot of things happen on his own. He is so good in space. He's very slippery. Probably the best way to describe him in many respects. So I believe he could probably beat Chad Bumpus in a foot race. Now, of course, he could today because Chad's an old man now, right? Uh, love you, Chad. But even in Chad's prime, Chad might have been – just as elusive in space as Dorch, but I think Dorch better top-end foot speed. People always ask for a comparison, and it's difficult to throw those around. It really is. But I think Bumpus is probably a pretty good comparison. Dorch, similar size-wise, probably a little bit taller, a little bit longer. And if he's even half as competitive as Chad, we've got a heck of a prospect here. So I think he is going to be a great addition uh, to this team and to this offense now, beginning of the year, we were expecting to sign two receivers. I'm now here and now it's going to be three, maybe four, depending on who's available. And, of course, there's always the best available on offense, whether that goes to the offensive line, whether it goes to wide receiver, kind of remains to be seen. Uh, we know we've got coming in with quarterback. You know, Braden Locke, of course, recently set a new Texas high school record for touchdown passes for his classification. It's a guy that's locked in, always tweeting out Hell State, hadn't done a ton of media, and that'll be okay. But now he's got some guys to throw to. We know what Janoris Hobson can do. I really like him a lot. His foot speed was a bit of a question mark. And he went to some camps and, and ran pretty well. I think he's probably a 4'6 guy watching him on film. Those guys tend to get a little bit faster when they get in the strength and conditioning room and kind of, you know, specialize their workouts a little bit. But, you know, you either are fast or you're not. You can get a little bit stronger and faster, which is what Marquez Dorch has done. If you look at his track times – Every year he's gotten a little bit faster. It's a guy that's running like a 10-9-2 in the 100-yard dash, which puts him basically in like an average Division I track and field athlete time you know, on the back end of that. You know, so if, if, you, if you're not running sub-11, you're probably not running Division I track. But Dorch is there. But here's the deal. We're not putting a track team together. We're putting a football team together. This guy's a, a heck of a football player. So what's next for Mississippi State? I wrote about that on uh, Tuesday. You know, we're still waiting on Stone Blanton. I'm a Stone Blanton fan. I know Stone wants to play both sports. Mississippi State's 
you've been able to, to prove that you can do that successfully. I know Ole Miss has done it just a little bit, but you know, Mississippi State did it, and their guy won an AFL championship in Brad Compass. And then Brad, of course, had offseason surgery, not playing football this year. Fully expect Brad to get drafted uh, this year in baseball once the season's done. And if he doesn't, he can always come back, right? So the reality of it is Stone Blanton still working through the process. Uh, I still feel like he's going to be a Bulldog. But I can't, I can't sit here and tell you I feel as strongly about that today as I did two months ago. When I spoke to him uh, at the SummerSlam, after the SummerSlam event, I, f- I fully expected him to be committed to Mississippi State in September. We're two months later, and we're still waiting this thing out. Now, he's also in state championship mode. That's where his focus is right now. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I wish he'd make a decision. You know, it's his decision. He and his family know where he stands at both Mississippi State and Ole Miss. And I know that he has some people in his family that, that root for both schools. But the reality of it is it's going to be Stone's decision. His family's going to back him up no matter what he does. He's going to have name, image, and likeness opportunities at either school. It's as simple as that. And so he's got a great relationship with Zach Garnett. They speak regularly. We'll see how things kind of progress on that front. But uh, I still feel good about State getting Stone Blanton. But I also feel like if he doesn't come, it's not a class killer. Now, you want to get him, and I know what the optics look like and all that kind of stuff. This is a guy that grew up a Mississippi State fan going to Ole Miss. That's a tough pill to swallow. But the reality of it is, is State's on a lot of kids right now that, that are pretty highly rated and pretty highly recruited. So I expect us to close a really good class. Now, here's the deal, too. We're not going to sweep everybody we want. Those are things sometimes I think gets lost in translation. It's like you start, you let your emotions and this irrational exuberance kind of take over at times. You think, oh, we're going to get everybody. Well, we're not going to get everybody. There's a lot of guys that we're on we're not going to get, and your favorite player may be one of them. I feel great about Trevion Williams. I feel pretty good about Jaheim Otis. Of course, I would feel a whole lot better if he wasn't committed to Alabama. If he was committed to Arkansas, I'd say, yeah, we're going to get him. I can't come out and say I think we're going to get him. I do think we're doing the things necessary to get him, though. And that is recruiting him in a very intelligent way. This is a Mississippi kid. This is a guy that drives four-wheelers and rides horses and things like that and fries fish. You know, this is a guy that's a Mississippi State kid. Now, there have been some Mississippi State kids that have gone to Alabama over the years. And, yeah, listen, they're telling him, hey, you come here, you got a chance to win an AFL championship, you're here three, maybe four years, and then you can go to the National Football League. They've also talked at times about him playing offensive line. Recently, Bill O'Brien and Pete Golding attended a game to watch him play. So it's not like Alabama is losing interest in him. He is a tremendous football player. Mississippi State's right there. Is there some wiggle room? Yes. Is State probably the only school at this point that is really has a shot? Yes. But he remains committed to Alabama. And that's important to remember. Sometimes we forget that. We think, oh, yeah, he's going to make a decision late. And he is. But in reality, he's committed to Alabama. And so while I still feel that State's doing pretty well with him, I'm not ready to call a flip. I'm not ready to put the pick in. But it's better than 50-50. It's absolutely better than 50-50. Kamari Rogers, it appears that his only official visit that he will take outside of Miami is to Mississippi State. That's pretty significant, too. I continue to hear a lot you know, about Coach Rogers, his dad, Marcus. Very, very, very good guy. If you've ever spent some time around him, he makes you feel like you've known you forever. Just a great guy, a absolutely great guy. He's a guy that's really big on relationships. 
The fact that Mississippi State continues to recruit Kamari despite his ACL tear, I understand it's something that's been very important to the family. It's that, hey, Mississippi State is showing them, hey, this is home. So I'm not ready to call that either, but Mississippi State very much in the mix there with a four-star wide receiver, former number one player in the state of Mississippi, Kamari Rogers. Committed to Miami, a lot of upheaval at Miami as of late. They fired their athletic director, who recently issued a vote of confidence to Manny Diaz. I think Manny's in a situation where he's coaching for his job in his final two weeks. And some people would say, well, you know, what do you need to know? Well, I think you know if he's going to win some games. I think it's that precarious of a situation. I think if he doesn't win, then it makes it an easy decision. If he wins, it makes it more difficult. And maybe you say, okay, new AD in here, let's give him a year. But if you're Marcus Rogers, do you really want to send your kid out in that situation to know that, you know what, the guys that are recruiting him may not be coaching him? That's, that's a decision that family's going to have to make. A lot of offensive line names out there. Percy Lewis, of course, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, could be the guy that comes in to, uh, to try to replace Charles Cross. It's going to be difficult to do. Charles Cross played at a very high level right now. It's moved into the top ten in a lot of the mock drafts out there. Now, here's the deal. If he's not going to be a bona fide first-rounder, probably should come back because he will be next year. But there have been no numbers out there that suggest to me, you know, outside of a few old Miss fans are like, oh, I don't really like him. And you know what? Nobody really cares. But there are a lot of people in the industry that consider Charles Cross one of the top two or three tackles in this draft. And so, with that said, he's going to come out. And so, you've got to have a plug-and-play guy. Does that mean you get a guy from the transfer portal? Maybe. Do you get a junior college guy? You know, maybe. But you're going to be looking to replace both tackles. Maybe you take both options. Both. We've talked about Jackson LaHue on the show here recently. State offered him last week. And then, of course, Virginia Tech coach Justin Fuente fired at Virginia Tech. Similar to the Cannon Boone situation last year. Cannon Boone, of course, was committed to Virginia Tech. His dad uh, has a friend that is on staff at Virginia Tech as an off-the-field staffer. Well, there was some unrest last year. Fuente may not have even survived the season last year. So Cannon Boone decides, you know what, I'm going to go to Mississippi State. Similar situation kind of unfolding with LaHue. Does that mean that he sticks with us? Don't know. But what I am impressed with is Mason Miller always seems to be on top of something fresh. Recently offered Jalen Farmer a Florida commitment. There is upheaval at Florida with John Havasey being terminated. Offers Jackson LaHue in advance of all this happening. Right? So it's like we've got our ear to the ground. We're thinking, hey, let's go maybe try to poach some commitments. It's one thing I hear a lot. Do we ever recruit other teams' commitments? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And I would say the Mike Leach staff probably does it a lot more than the Joe Moorhead and even the Dan Mullen staff did. You know, there were times we'd go out and – maybe take somebody from a G5 program. But, you know, these are Power 5 programs that we're going after their kids. And in order for us to take the next step as a program, that's where we have to win. we got to win on the recruiting trail first. And then you win on the field. That's how you begin to catch the upper hierarchy in the SEC, is you begin to win these recruiting battles where you go get a Power 5 guy rather than a developmental G5 guy and just kind of hope for the best. And that's where I like the recipe of what we're doing recruiting-wise. All right, that's going to do it for today. Can't believe I made it all the way through. I'm tired, but I'll be able to sleep late today. And again, I got a busy day on Wednesday. I got something really cool I'm working on that'll post on Sunday over at Gene's page. Something super, super cool. Something I've never done before. How about that? Excited about that and uh, looking forward to sharing uh, some fresh information with you guys. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com 
pre-order your copies of Dogpile. They'll be out soon. I still don't have an official release date, but it is being printed. You will buy it. You will read it. You will love it. While you're there, get your copies of Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, and uh, Flim Flim. Interestingly enough, Alpha Dogs reappears on the Mississippi bestsellers list this past week. Bloomsville Leander was on there for, what, five months? Yeah, five straight months. And now Alpha Dogs jumps up there. So you guys are out there in the bookstores buying the book. I appreciate it. If you want them personalized, you need to order them through the website. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, or you can get them personalized uh, through Bookmart Cafe. Also signed copies at Lemuria Books, uh, also at Turnrow Books. So uh, be sure to check that out, and your local bookstore can order that for you. So if you have a local bookstore that you'd like to give your business to, you can do that. Pretty simple. Or you can go to Amazon and order it and have it right to your house. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and it appears that somebody always is, because people walk up to me when I wear my Stark Villains stuff and say, hey, where did you get that? Pretty easy. StarkVillains.com. Order yourself a T-shirt, a hoodie, lots of colors, lots of styles. Go check it out today. It's StarkVillains.com. That's going to do it for today, man. Look forward to being back with you guys on Friday. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.